0: Over the past four weeks, we have been on a journey. Over the past four weeks, we have been talking about one of the most important, but least talked about parts of what it means to be a Christian or be a Jesus follower. And some of you, that's not you yet, uh, and that's okay. We're so glad that you're here. We created this place with you in mind. But we've been talking about what it means to be a Christian or a Jesus follower, that the call of God and the command of Jesus is for each of us who claims to be a Jesus follower, and it is to look beyond what is and visualize what could be and what should be, not just in our lives, but in the lives of others. To see others the way God sees them and to be burdened by the things that burden the heart of God. Because the awesome thing is that the God of the universe, who transcends space and time, who Jesus introduced to us as your Heavenly Father and mine. He has has a vision for your individual life, for what He wants to accomplish in and through you, in your singleness, in your marriage, in your career, in your retirement, in your relationships with your children or co-workers, with your fellow students, in your finances, in your friendships, in your daily relationships, and beyond that. He has called all of us who believe in Jesus to carve out a generous slice of our time, our talent and our treasure to invest in and be an active part in a part of what Jesus referred to as his kingdom that as that through us people could be experience a compelling glimpse of the love of God and heaven on earth not from our leftovers but from our best from the first fruits and he has a vision for you being a part of what Jesus meant when he said, Go and make disciples. And what I have been on my knees most mornings praying for, for you and for our church, is that God would birth in each of us and in each of you who calls yourself a Christian a crystal clear understanding of our part in fulfilling the great commission. Because when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, we lost our right to dream dreams and develop plans and develop a vision for a life that puts Christ at the periphery and in the background of our lives, as most people who say they are Christians do. If you're not a Christian, Again, I'm so glad that you're here, that you're listening. So the good news is this part doesn't apply to you. But if you're considering Jesus, everything that we're talking about gives you a glimpse, more clarity as what it looks like to follow Jesus. But if you are a Christian, one way or another, Jesus is to have center stage in your life and in your relationships. And I get it. For most of us, becoming a Christian was, for the most part, about ourselves, Because we came to the realization that there's more to this life than this life and that somehow believing in Jesus will make it so that we can avoid hell and go to heaven when I die. Well, that's not a hard decision, okay? But there is so much more to it than that. And one of the things that comes with being given such an amazing gift is that this gift isn't just for us. The offer of new life is for everyone. But for them to know, someone has to tell them. Someone has to show them the way. And that responsibility has been given to each and every one of us who claims to follow Jesus. And we've been tracking with the life of Nehemiah because he was someone who God gave a vision to impact an entire people group and to set the stage for what would happen 400 years later when God and Abad would touch down on this earth in the form of Jesus. It was a vision to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, but he worked for a pagan king. He lived in Persia, he'd never been to Jerusalem, and no one in Jerusalem cared about rebuilding the walls, otherwise they would have already done it. So God did some amazing things to get Nehemiah out of Persia to Jerusalem with the resources that he needed, time to survey the situation, to rally the troops, to make a plan. And then Nehemiah stood up and he cast the vision. He said, look, here's how it could be and should be and can be in Jerusalem. And God used Nehemiah's words to stir the hearts of the people. And they stood up and they said, we're in. Let's go. Let's go to work. And Nehemiah organizes the people. And in Nehemiah. Chapter 2, he gives the battle cry about building, rebuilding the wall. And in verse 18, they replied, the entire community, let us start rebuilding. So they began this great work. Then chapter 3 tells us how it was all organized and who took responsibility for what. So we're not going to read through all of that this morning. But here's what's important to know for our discussion today. That for the most part, the people in Jerusalem didn't live in the city. Because it was broken down. It was dangerous to live in the city of Jerusalem. So Nehemiah had to gather the people from all around and outside the city and galvanize them into a workforce. What that means is to join in on this great vision and mission, they all had to walk away from other things. They walked away from their fields, from their jobs, their homes. They literally walked away from whatever it was that they were doing in their regular daily life, and they all, as a group, came together and focused on the task at hand to rebuild Jerusalem now Nehemiah, he was a brilliant leader; He divided the wall into forty sections, and then he assigned different people and different groups to work on different sections of the wall. If you lived in the city, you were assigned the section of the wall that was closest to your home, which again was a brilliant move because obviously the part of the wall that's closest to your home you 're going to give extra attention to and uh, Uh, actually, archaeologists have discovered parts of this wall. There's a picture of the part of the wall, and it gives you scale. You can see the woman standing up in the top right-hand side. Uh, This part of the wall was built during the Persian Empire, and as they dug it up, they recognized that this was built from rubble and debris from a previous age, from a previous wall. But the people got to work, and quickly they experienced what anybody with a God-given, guiding vision for their lives to make a difference in the lives of others' experience. That whenever you take a step, whenever you step out, take action, and begin to do something about a God-given vision, there is always risk, and there is always sacrifice involved. Every time. The risk for these people was pretty clear. They walked away from their normal lives with no guarantee that this was going to work. They could get halfway through this project and just have it fall apart. Most of the men had to come from outside. They had to leave their families to the outskirts of Jerusalem and they had to move into town to be able to work on this wall day and night. And adding to the risk was that the people that lived in the surrounding areas and the provinces did not want to see Jerusalem rebuilt. And this was a violent time in history. It was going to threaten their trade. It was going to threaten their security and their wealth. And they knew from history what a powerful nation had been, uh, Israel had been at one time. And as we're going to see next week, they gathered an army around them and planned to attack them from all four sides to stop this building. So there was great risk and there was great sacrifice involved. This was not some paid union job with health benefits. This, there was no hourly pay. There was no income at all. And this wasn't something where they just got all the builders and construction workers together. These were farmers and shepherds and merchants and perfumers and seamstresses and women and priests and goldsmiths and perfumers. It was people from all walks of life. So, what I want you to do is, I want you to imagine imagine walking away from your job, whatever, no matter what your job, for two months walking away, giving up two entire months of your salary or your pay with no guarantee. They put their trade, their business, their personal lives, they put everything on hold for 52 days. They hunkered down and they focused on rebuilding this wall. They took great, great risk, even risk of total loss. But in taking on that risk, And deciding to sacrifice greatly. They experienced, they got to experience something incredible. They got to experience what anyone who has stepped out in faith to go after the call and the vision that God has called them to experiences. And that is when a good idea becomes a passion, and what filled your head begins to fill your heart, and something happened in the hearts of these people. And when they, to use Nehemiah's words, began this great work, in that moment, they were transformed from a disorganized, scattered remnant into a united, focused, vision, purposeful, mission-driven force. And in 52 days, they accomplished the impossible. And I know from personal experience when God has put something in your heart and when you decide to do what God is actually calling you to do, one thing is guaranteed. You're going to have to take some risk and you're going to have to make some sacrifices. And most of you, you've experienced something like this. You've experienced scary moments in your life where you're about to pull the trigger on a big decision. You're about to cross a line. You're about to commit in something in your life. And you can remember pausing for a moment, what am I doing? What am I thinking? Like, like, is this the right decision? You can still remember maybe, like, you know what, I need to call him back and I need to cancel that appointment. Or I need to tap out. Or I need to go, you know, never mind, actually I changed my mind. You can remember the terror of making the transition from idea to action. From intent to commitment. I remember the day at 17, after signing a contract with the Navy, being taken into a room, stand, stood before a flag to swear an oath. While on the inside, I thought, what am I doing? What, what am I about to do? Or days after meeting a beautiful 21-year-old great-eyed blonde named Shauna, buying a ring and asking her to marry me, which wasn't the scary part. The scary part was 15 months later standing down front in a church with hundreds of de- guests and the back doors open and there she stood and, I, and it hit me. What am I doing? I'm about, I am not responsible enough to get married. Or a few years ago for Father's Day, one of my sons gave me one of like, the greatest gifts. He took me skydiving from 14,000 feet. And as you can tell from this picture, if you can't tell, uh, in that moment I was questioning all of my life choices in that moment. Like, should I tap out? But in spite of that, I leapt. And I'm so glad that I didn't let fear hold me back because now I have a treasure that no one can ever take away from me because I got to experience and have the memory of skydiving and doing it with my son. And we have this shared moment forever. Most of you, you've made education or career or relationship choices where you ventured out of the shallow end into the deep end, you stopped standing on the high dive, you closed your eyes, and you committed your whole self. That is what Nehemiah and the people did. And when you take that step and you take action, it does something to your heart and something to your soul because now it's do or die. I have committed with both hands and both feet. And when God births a vision in you, For an individual, a parent, a child, a prodigal son or daughter, a vision for children or teenagers or college students or single parents, couples, those suffering suffering under poverty and injustice, or to help shape and impact an entire church, if it's a God thing, it's going to involve risk and it's going to involve sacrifice. I mean, think of it. The Scriptures are basically story after story after story demonstrating that from the beginning of humanity until now, God has never invested Himself in a person or a vision that men, women, or young people did not have to take risk and sacrifice for. Because from day one, the call of God is, will you trust me even when it scares you? Now, that's the easy part of the sermon. I mean, it's all clear. A life truly worth living is one driven by a guiding, God-given vision that will involve sacrifice and risk. And at this point, I'd just like to close in prayer and beat the Baptists to the restaurants. But God has something for us in this. Because God is not interested in Christians just learning inspirational information from His Word. God doesn't call us to just listen and learn. He calls us to do something. And again, what I have been praying for morning after morning and afternoons is, God, what is it that you're calling us to? So for the next few minutes, what are you calling us to do? I want to specifically talk to those of you who consider New Life your church home. We've bought into the vision of New Life as a church uh, Almost exactly seven years ago, the idea of New Life began with just 10 of us on a back deck. Fast forward, and if all of our regular New Lifers were here on the same Sunday, which by the way, never happens, what started with 10 has grown to about 133. About 90 adults and about 43 next gen, infants, preschoolers, elementary, teens. Of those adults, 46% are connected to a small group, a men's group, or a women's group of some sort, which is a great start, but we want to improve that because we're not designed to do a life alone. 65% of the adults who consider New Life their church home regularly serve in one ministry or more, and oh, how we love you. And then approximately 50 of the 54 households Currently represented at New Life, 89% consistently give a dollar amount to help fund the overall ministry of this church and what we're trying to accomplish. And that is all awesome. But there's a but. Especially in light of what we're learning in Nehemiah, here's the big question for every one of us who considers new life their church home and their church family and would say I'm a Christian. I put Jesus in the driver's seat of my life. The question is, have we given to the point of sacrifice? See, because, the role of, the role, because of the role God has called me to, one of my responsibilities as a leader is to challenge you and do my best to inspire you to go to places you've never gone and to do things that you've never done. In fact, my entire role as a pastor is to do everything short of sin, to inspire you, each of you, every week to wrestle, look at what is as opposed to what could be in your life, in your relationships, and in our city, and in our world. I mean, every week, I or one of the other communicators, we stand up front and we open the amazing text of scriptures to Help us clearly see what is as opposed to what could be because our God has called us to a what-could-be existence. And when it comes to material wealth and possessions, Jesus made it abundantly clear the number one competitor and contender for our heart, our affection, and our passion between us and what God wants to do in and through us is money. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and you would think he'd say the devil, but he doesn't. He says you cannot serve both God and money. And we know he's right. Because, I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, if you just take the time to actually think about, like, over the last couple of weeks, how often and how much time you thought about money in your life, or the lack thereof, Or how can I make and secure more for myself? We get it. In another place, Jesus says it this way. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And God wants our hearts. But the challenge for most of us is, especially for those of us who are American Christians, is this. That for generations, that especially American Christians have been taught to believe right and behave right. Just believe the right things. And that's enough. Following Jesus and being a Christian is about so much more. Paul addresses this kind of thinking when he writes to the young church in Corinth. He wrote, Since you excel in everything, in faith, and speech, and in knowledge, which, again, for many in the U.S. is the extent of their Christianity, Paul takes it further to say, Do all this in complete earnestness and in love, the love we have kindled you, in you. And see that you also excel in this grace of giving. In other words, if you're a Christian, God's calling you far beyond average. He's calling us to excel in faith and speech and knowledge and love and in the grace of giving because he wants our heart to beat for the things that his heart beats for and for you, for everyone around you. And our money is directly connected to what our hearts beat for and to God. Now, from day one of starting this church, I've worked to do the best that I can to lead in authenticity and transparency and in integrity and to never teach or suggest anything to others that i myself am either not um, that i myself am not living or being challenged by or pursuing myself. So with that in mind, i want to be uncomfortably vulnerable and transparent with you. In this sensitive uncomfortable area of money and faith, i want you to have as much confidence as possible That this isn't do as I say, not as I do, but that you can have confidence that I am in this with you and that I and my wife take seriously the grace of giving. And that maybe by example, to inspire you to go to places you've never gone and do things you've never done. So to be uncomfortably transparent, since the start of New Life over the past six years, Sean and I have personally given over $61,000 to this church community that we believe in and that we love so much. In addition to the ways we seek to be generous towards other opportunities with the resources that God has entrusted to us, we have loved consistently priority percentage giving 10 to 12% of our co- combined God-given income to this church community from day one. And again, this, it's uncomfortable right now for me to share that with you. And I only share it with you so that you know I'm smoking what I'm selling. Because I want to help inspire you by example to something greater in your own personal life when it comes to money and your relationship with God and what He wants to do in and through you and what we cannot do without you. Now, as you can imagine, for us to give at that level, we've had to adjust our living, expen- living standards around that priority. Thank you, Jesus and Dave Ramsey. Uh, it's meant a smaller home. It means... It's meant driving an 11-year-old car, cutting cable, eating out less than maybe we could. All of that and more we've adjusted around the priority of giving. And please don't get the impression that I'm somehow above anyone else because I'm not. I really like stuff. Like, I could live on Amazon. Uh, There are so many things I would love to buy, so many things I would love to do. I would absolutely love having more, newer, faster, shinier, shinier. My family knows that my entire life since I could walk, I've wanted a Jeep. And specifically, I want a black Jeep Sahara edition with tinted windows, and I've wanted that for years. And over the past six years, I could have had one. I would have loved to have gotten our mortgage entirely paid off by this point. And we could have done that but only if we cut back on our giving and we're unwilling to do that. But do you know what we've gotten to experience as a result? Purpose. Joy. The local church is the hope of the world And being deeply invested in that in something bigger than ourselves and the stories over the last six years that we've gotten to hear and share in of life change and seeing the deep lifelong friendships and relationships that have been and are being formed formed in this community, it gives us a deep sense of purpose and joy. And I think about all the ways our young, small church has been able to serve and bless others outside the walls, outside of the walls of this community, channeling thousands of dollars of household items to refugees in our first year, serving the homeless downtown, being invested in ending sex trafficking and helping victims through our partnership financially and with volunteer time with ICT SOS, the thousands of dollars that we channeled as a community into Project Laundry, an effort to provide free laundry and a free meal every month to under-resourced families, and during 2020, especially during lockdown, channeling thousands of dollars to help struggling college students, singles, single moms, families, seniors with groceries, utility bills, rent assistance because they couldn't work or because they lost their income. During that time, we sent thousands of dollars to a sister church in the Bronx that had over 35 COVID deaths alone in one month, in one of the poorest hardest hit areas and and we channeled thousands of dollars to two sister churches in Minneapolis that to help supply them as they served at Ground Zero Zero, because that's where they were located as they worked to lead the recovery effort hardest hit for the riots after the murder of George Floyd. And then last year, above and beyond our regular giving, many new lifers helped channel thousands of dollars into a relief effort for refugees in Poland and Ukraine with my wife and I in Ukraine and, and, and Poland just two weeks after the Russian invasion began. And with that act, and you guys don't know this, but with that act that began out of this church, it helped spark a massive network that is now serving thousands of refugee men, women, and children in Poland and Ukraine. And knowing that we were able to have skin in the game for all of that, locally, nationally, globally, through this young, small church, worth Every penny. And I, for one, want more. You know what else my wife and I have experienced? What others who have chosen to excel in the grace of giving have experienced? God's faithfulness and His generosity. There's an Old Testament passage that states the one thing in the entire Old and New Testament that God invites us to test Him in. And it's in the area of giving. And Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. When we are generous towards the people and the things that burden the heart of God, God blesses that always. When I look back on my life, I see the more we gave, the more God provided. You cannot outgive God. Now some of you, Honestly, you're living on about 105 to 110% of your income. And if you had to give 10%, your world would fall apart. And if that's you, if you're living with financial stress and no breathing room and no margin, as someone who loves you, it's time for a change. God wants far better for you than that, and so do I. Our culture wants to enslave you, but God wants to free you. So if you lack financial margin in your life, if you're stressed about money, if you have fights with a loved one or your spouse over finances, there's a lot of great resources. I just want to recommend one. I'm going to recommend one book. We have a picture, right? Very good. I got a thumbs up. Okay, so I just want to encourage you to get this book, read it, and apply it. This Reading, going through this book and applying it changed mine and my family's life. It gave us a simple, doable plan to help us live with financial margins since 2009. And I so want that for every one of you. And ultimately for all of us, if we're a Christian, I have to believe that all of us want to live a life and be a part of a God thing. A thing that's going to make a lasting difference and imprint in this world, especially for the next generation. And consistently, God shows up in a big way when individuals decide to get out of the safety of the shallow end and move to the deep waters of what he's calling calling us to. And even though the majority of participants in this church give, only a handful, a small handful of us have committed with both hands and both feet to do the work of new life financially. Most of us have given consistently, but for many, if we were talking over coffee and you're just shooting straight, You'd say, you know, it's, it's true. I've just given out, given out of habit, or I've given some of the leftovers, or compared to my income, quite honestly, I've given out of my abundance. But honestly, I don't really notice it. I don't really miss it. I've not given sacrificially. Many of you not, have not experienced and felt the exhilaration of truly opening your hands, of putting everything on the table and saying, okay, God, here's my paycheck, my savings, my investments. You are the one who gave all of this to me. Now, here all of it is, what do you want me to put to use for your kingdom world in this church, or your kingdom work in this world and in and through my church? In America, you may not know this, the average of what Christians give is 2.5% of their income. And the amazing thing is that the more the American Christian makes statistically, the less they give. In fact, an American Christian bringing home $20,000 a year is 10 times more likely to give 10% or give more generously than the individual bringing home $70,000 a year. Why? Well, because as we make more money... We quit looking at the percentage and we look at the dollars. And here's an embarrassing fact. The giving average for Christians almost mirrors the giving average of all Americans, believers and non-believers in what they give to charitable organizations. So in other words, the average Christian gives the same as the average non-Christian. And that should bother us. We do not serve an average God. We serve a great God who went to great lengths to pay a great price to save us when we didn't deserve it and no guarantee that He would get anything back in return. So how can we be content with average when we are called to be a light and excel in the grace of giving and be, an ira- be irrationally generous in a way that changes the world? So I'm here today to just say that the time has come for many of you to stop giving nothing or to stop giving God the leftovers or the bits and pieces of your abundance and it's time to excel in the grace of giving. And it's time for all who believe in Jesus and believe in the mission He's given us in such a way that we feel that we have to adjust our lives around it. Because... As a church, as we moved in, into the future, we want to be invested in our city with those who have little to nothing. We want to be serving those who are the most vulnerable. And maybe it's just me, but I don't want to be renting space forever in a hard-to-find back part of a huge university building, doing setup and tear down every week until the end of time. As a church, we want to be able to financially help those of the next generation who God's going to call to go to seminary to prepare for full-time ministry. As a church, we want to bless people who have courageously stepped up to serve the most vulnerable through foster parenting. And we want to continue a growing relationship and an investment in ICT SOS to help, help end sex trafficking and help victims. We want to greatly increase our effectiveness in engaging those outside the walls of this building with our digital presence online and social media because for the majority, especially in this generation and the next, if they are to ever connect with us or step foot in our community or be impacted by what they're doing, they're going to first engage us online. And we want to be able to and ready ready and able to act quickly on the future opportunities that God's going to give us to serve our city and beyond, as he has in the past. And we want to increasingly, increasingly resource our efforts to equip the children, many of whom are just down the hall, with a prevailing faith and a selfless love, and to hand off a strong, thriving church to the next generation. We have a lot of work to do, especially this year, because we're going to make some Important pivots when it comes to who we are as a church and what God is calling us to do and how we do it. But most of what we will do will require funding, and it's going to take not just a few of us, but all of us willing to be committed with both hands and both feet for us as as a church that is fully engaged with God's redemptive works in this city and inspiring everyone we can into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Because the hard truth is, if we're not willing to do that, we don't deserve a building and we don't deserve a church, to be a church. If we just want to be a place to go to church, there are plenty of places in Wichita to just go to church. But if you're even just a little bit like me, you want to see God do something amazing through you and through our church. So the time has come for all of us who are Christians to commit both hands and both feet and say God we want to be a part of something big. I want to be a part of what you want to do through me and through this church. So this morning as reluctantly as I have been to do anything ever I'm here to give you your assignment. And if you don't want to follow me anymore that's okay. If you want to get a new pastor you may not know that but you have the ability to do that. But until that happens I'm standing up and I'm just saying, here's your assignment. And then it's up to you to do business with God and decide what you're going to do. Because to get in on what God wants to do in and through you, there's always risk and there's always sacrifice involved. Based on 2022 numbers, giving, the giving average was about $140 a month per adult of regular tenders. And, and I think you can agree, we can do better. We must do better. So here's your assignment, again, if you're Christian. Go home, do the math, figure out what percentage of your income you've been giving for the past six months. If that percentage comes to 2.5%, which is the national average for Christians and non-Christians in America to give, if it comes to 2.5% or less, I want to challenge you to make it 5% or more. Because we're not called to be average, because who we follow and the mission we've been called to, not average. Jesus said to excel in everything, faith, knowledge, love, and the grace of giving, because it's an outward expression of all those previous things. Now, if you do the math and you're already giving, your giving is already at 5%, but less than 10, I want to just challenge you, add 2%, with the goal of getting to at least 10%, What got drilled into me years ago was this formula. Give 10, save 20, live on the rest. If you do, if you will prioritize making a difference while also setting yourself up for financial breathing room, it will cause you to experience a level of purpose and peace and joy beyond what you can imagine. And you can do this. It may take a little time. But my wife and I got there, and yeah, it meant instead of Disney World, we were a tent, we were a tent camping family. Instead of new cars, we primarily drove, driven used cars. And just let me say something that's very important. If when I said increase to 5%, you thought, I can do that. That's not your assignment. If when I said add 2% to whatever percentage you're already given, you thought, I can totally do that. I hate to tell you, that's not your assignment. See, this is about figuring out that percentage where, like my wife and I and several others of us in the church community, we go, hmm, I'm going to feel that. I'm going to have to make some adjustments. I'm not going to be able to continue doing things the way I've always done them. I'm not going to be able to keep my gold card membership at Starbucks anymore. I'm going to need to cut back on my streaming services. Uh, I'm not going to be able to drive the newest car or live in the most square footage because God is calling me to excel in the grace of giving because of what he wants to do in and through me. So the question is, what are you going to do? If you're not already, are you going to get on board with what God is calling you to do? Because the other option is to be like the rich young ruler who when Jesus invited him to follow him chose to walk away from the Savior of the world because he couldn't bring himself to give what Jesus was calling him to give. Imagine what he forfeited. And for what? And maybe you decide, okay God, I like a good challenge. For 2023 let's do this. You said test you in this. I'll test you this year. But, but whatever percentage, you and God have to figure that together, out, out together. But it will likely be above the percentage you think you can do. And listen, some of you have a little and some of you have much. This is very important. You are only responsible for what God has put in your hands, not someone else's. And do you know why I'm excited about this. If you'll do this. It's because physical sacrifice is the path to mental and spiritual renewal. You know what happened in the book of Nehemiah? The wall was a catalyst for God to do something amazing in the hearts and the lives of the people that blew even Nehemiah's mind. The truth was God sent Nehemiah to build more than just a wall. He sent him to build a people. And that's what he's called us to do. And then when they committed themselves with their talents and treasures and time and they sacrificed and put everything else aside and got laser focused on what God was calling them to do, something happened in their hearts. And there was renewal and there was revival in Jerusalem and their lives got better, their marriages got better, and they began to experience hope and joy and restoration like they never imagined, and if we're up for this challenge, very, very quickly you're going to discover this isn't about a building, this isn't about a program, or holding weekend services, this is about preparing for what God wants to do in and through us as a church. I believe that God has just kind of dropped some blessings and some dollars on each of us, and now he's sitting back going, all right, let's find out where their hearts really are. Is this a me thing, or is this an us thing? And we're not going to do pledge cards. I'm, I'm, I'm not against those, but I just don't want you to be able to sleep tonight. I want you to have to go through what I've had to go through more than once in my life. You know, but, but Lord, what are we going to do about this? And I had this plan, and how's this going to work out? And we were going to replace this. And what if I don't have enough for me? And we, 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 I, I, I. Sean and I are in with both hands and both feet. There's a handful of us that are. We've adjusted our lives to priority percentage giving, and now I just need a bunch of you to join us based upon what God has put in your hands and put in your control, because if you do, I can't wait to see what God will have for us because we will have shown up, shown very tangibly, God, I want in. Whatever it is you want to do in and through me and our church, let's go. Let me pray for us. Father, I, uh, I'm so grateful for the people you put in my life. I'm so gr- especially grateful for my wife, who's just gifted in the grace of generosity and the grace of giving and her influence on me and others that have influenced me. And God, I, I pray for all of us as a church, as a community, those that are brand new, those that have been here for the longest time, That, God, that you will help every one of us to overcome the immediate resistance, the immediate questions, the immediate pushback and fears that come to our mind. And that, Father, that you'll just get a grip on us and work through this with us and lead us. And I pray, Father, that for us as a church, as a culture in this church, we would become known for a rational generosity to do everything we can to reach those that are far from you and to build up those that have taken that step in and into relationship with you and now are in a position and posture to be discipled and to be poured into and to see them mature and then see them serve out. But Father, we can't do without your help. We can't do it without your Holy Spirit just bugging the snot out of us until we get to that point of surrender and testing you in this. So Father, I pray that for all of us in the name of Jesus. Amen.